This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Thanksgiving, and thank you for listening to the College Football Daily. Good morning. It is, of course, Thanksgiving Day, Thursday, November 25th. My name is Chase Scott, and yeah, you're listening to the College Football Daily. I already said that. We have a special episode today. We're talking to Brandon Marcello, National 24-7 Sports writer, about the best assistant coaches in college football who are ready for the next step, or more accurately, the assistant coaches who other college football coaches think are ready for the next step. That's right. Brandon polled recently about 30 college football coaches to see which assistants will make the best head coaches moving forward, coaching candidates. Got some guys who could wait it out. Got some guys who might never make the move. Got some guys who are potentially going to be big-time candidates right now. So uh, as, as the coaching carousel gets moving, we wanted to get Brandon on to make sure we discussed this content. It was very popular 24-7 sports, had a lot of eyeballs on it. Brandon did great work working the phones, and uh, I think you were going to enjoy this episode. Take a listen. All right, Brandon Marcello joins us right now, second time this week, and uh, and happy happy early Thanksgiving, Brandon. So a, a lot of these coaches are, are probably very happy, very thankful that you had them on your list. And to be fair, this is kind of your list and kind of the list of college football at large because you you polled a lot of people across college football to get the list of the best assistant coaches as far as jobs go, candidates go. And I and I probably botched that. I, I think that the big takeaway though is. And I want to start with 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 Rhett Lashley, who's not number one on the list. But there's like a, it's it's kind of cool to see that there's not a direct correlation between the Broyles Award and the guys who are like most ready to be head coaches. Like Rhett, Rhett Lashley's done a really nice job with the Miami offense this year with a third string quarterback, but his head coach might be fired in a few days. And yet Rhett Lashley is still a worthwhile head coaching candidate. Yeah, it's interesting. And and these are this is all feedback from head coaches, support staffers, assistant coaches across college football. And you know, this is not my opinion at all, um, though I'll mix it in here now on the podcast. But you know, Rhett Lashley had the fifth most votes among everybody, which is really interesting to me. And he's been a name that was on this list, I think, a year ago, too, when I did this. Um, and I think he was around this spot, too, which was impressive to me because, as you said, I mean, he's on a staff that's probably about to get cleared out at Miami. But Lashley really has probably been the lone bright spot on that staff this season. And for that matter, the last two years, I mean, remember where Miami was in that bowl game just a, almost two years ago. I mean, they couldn't, they didn't score at all against Louisiana Tech in a loss in the bowl game game. Manny Diaz goes out, goes, I need to fix this, gets Rhett Lashley away from SMU. And now their offense, even without De'Aaron King, is scoring points. You know, at the time of this poll, they were averaging 34.4 points per game against ACC competition. And that was with a redshirt freshman quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke, being thrown into the mix and really just doing a tremendous job. And, you know, as one of the coaches told me uh, that we polled, he just says he's got great qualities of a leader, and the kids and the coaches all believe in him, and they believe that 
Lashley's actually extended Manny Diaz's uh, life at Miami, where, you know, last year may have very well been his last season there instead of this year. But that offense really turned things around, and it'll be interesting to see. I think if Lashley is going to be a head coach, this is the year for him to move and do it because if he gets cleared out with this staff and he doesn't get a head coaching gig, he's going to have to go start all over again as a coordinator elsewhere. And he does that, it's probably going to be another two or three years before he can build enough um, of a resume again to, to be considered by these search firms and these athletic directors. I think he could be a, a great fit at a school like SMU, where he's, he's been if, if Sonny Dykes moves on to TCU. Last thing about Lashley, I've always wondered this. I know you covered him at Auburn. The turnaround to, you know, I don't know if the terms were official that he was fired at Auburn, but him and Gus Malzahn, like there was a parting of ways, Brandon, and they're mm-hmm. very close. And he goes to UConn. So I'm just, I've just always sort of been impressed with the, that was probably very humbling, you know, uh, yeah. for him to turn around and, and, and get his career back almost even on a better track than it was. Yeah, you know, he, it was very clear to him that he was not going to be free to be able to do what he wanted at Auburn, and things were going south there. So, you know, listen, he was starting to look, and they were starting to look. So they just it kind of met at, at the middle there. And UConn, yeah, it was a little bit humbling. And when he got there, I mean, the, the it was obviously just not a very good situation. And he turned that into a sp- position to be able to go to SMU. And everywhere he's been, if you look at the numbers, they've improved from year to year. And that's obviously the sign of a good coach. Uh, but also, he's a guy that I think that doesn't get enough attention when it comes to recruiting. Um, really, this is going way back, but you know, when they arrived at Auburn back in two, that late 2012, early 2013, they did not have a quarterback. And the guy who helped them and really zeroed in on Nick Marshall, and the reason why Auburn was able to get Nick Marshall was because of Rhett Lashley and his recruiting efforts. And if that didn't happen, that Auburn team comes nowhere close to winning the SEC, let alone getting to you know a BCS national championship game. So he's got he's got the resume, and he's he's a veteran assistant coach at this point, and he's going to get a shot. One job I would keep an eye, an eye for that I think would make a lot of sense for him, and it, I haven't heard anything along these lines, but one that makes sense to me is Troy. Right, Lashley has a lot of connections to the state of Alabama's coach at Sanford, Auburn, and uh, I think he would do very well at a Sunbelt uh, school right now. Yeah, it's a good call. Dan Lanning, Georgia defensive coordinator, number one on the list, 35 years old, I guess 35 years young, really. And this sort of reminds me of Kirby Smart at Alabama, where I just have a hunch he's going to stay around a few more years. If you were his agent or if you were Dan Lanning's best friend, Brandon, like what job? What job has to call for him to take? Like he's not gonna he's not gonna leave this situation to take the Troy job. If Billy Napier left, I don't I don't know if Dan Lanning's taking the Louisiana job because yeah, then you have so. to kind of build on that success and feel like he wants to be the guy who does his own like builds his own thing out. How, how long do you think he's waiting this out for? And sort of like Napier a few years ago, what is he waiting for? Yeah, I think for for Dan Lanning. A lot of his assistant coach friends in the business, assistant coaches, I should say, primarily, they want to see him become a head coach because they believe he would kill it. And they love him as an assistant coach. But they really don't know, even his friends know, if he's ready and willing to go be a head coach at a, say, a group of five school. I think he wants to become his first head coaching gig. He wants to make that Kirby Smart type of jump where he goes and leads a Power Five program. Not necessarily one that's contending for a national championship and could, but one that will be competitive is in a good spot. And then you talk about the age situation. And I think we're getting past that now, finally, in college football, where we go, well, that guy's too young. I mean, listen, Lincoln Riley was 34 when he led 
Oklahoma to a college football playoff in 2017. Different situation there. It's because, absurd to think about. It's that is yeah. The older it's just absurd. Yeah, but you know, with Dan Lanning, I think he's in a position. He's ready to be a head coach, but what's probably is best for him and and based on and this is just a lot of assumptions based off talking to people who are very close friends with him and in this poll that we pulled anonymously, he seems like the type of guy who's not going to leave unless it is a power five gig, but. The coaching carousel is spinning crazy right now. This is probably going to be the largest amount of openings we have seen potentially ever in the coaching carousel. And we're going to run out of candidates, to be quite honest, for some of these gigs. Everybody wants a sitting head coach. Guess what? That barely ever works out for the majority of these openings. And at some point, you've got to go hire assistants. And listen, Dan Lanning is one of the top three or four assistant coaches, regardless of the talent level on their on their roster, but assistant coaches on the staff. And listen, I, Dan Lanning is a guy that is going to get his opportunity. It's just a matter of whether he wants to take it. Listen, he's a guy that I thought would have been a great quote unquote risk to take at Kansas. And at this point, it tells you how much his stock has improved. At this point, I'm sitting here going, he's probably worth the risk for Florida. Why not? Why not go and hire Dan Lanning away from Georgia and bring him to Florida? And Get a young guy with a lot of recruiting tenacity about him that can build a staff that will be young and hungry to do so as well. Wouldn't that be fascinating after after Kirby took exactly? Took, I mean, man, we could have some bad blood in the SEC. The three guys tied for second on this list. We don't need to go too into them, but Alex Grinch at Oklahoma, Mike Elko at Texas A and M, who's only forty four, but I feel like I've heard his name now for twenty years, mm-hmm. and then Marcus Freeman, who just got to Notre Dame, and Elko, what was it once at Notre Dame as well? Are those three guys of, of Alex Grinch, Mike Elko, Marcus Freeman, are any of them head coaches in a year? Mike Elko, I think. I think finally, he's the guy. you think he's finally out. I think so. I mean, listen, he's the guy that got the most, like, when I'm talking about superlatives, when I was talking to assistant coaches and head coaches across the country, he was the guy that was just, I I can't tell you how much people were talking him up. This is one of the quotes I think I use. This is one of the better quotes. Quote, this is from a coach, quote, super competitive, super smart. He's going to be a great CEO, but he also gets it in recruiting and he can scheme anyone. And this is a guy that is a film junkie, understands everybody in the SEC, not just from what they're running offensively, but what they're running defensively, and he understands their recruiting operations. I think Mike Elko would make a fascinating candidate at Florida. If they were to seriously sit down and look at him, I think that they would come away pretty impressed just from talking to people around him and people who have coached against him, not even his his friends. I think he would be a guy that he just, the more I I hear of him and I look at down the list, he's a guy that maybe would probably fit in very well as the Florida head coach. Again, I'm not leading these searches, but when you talk to dozens we talked to, I know the story says 31, but it ended up being 34 after two days and I updated the story. 34 coaches, almost all of them at least mentioned Elko's name, even if they weren't on the list, because I was going through them and going, hey, what do you think of Mike Elko? Because th- his name came up, even though you didn't vote for him. Impressive things said about him. And among all the coaches on here, received the the highest marks, even though he was tied for number two. That reminds me of the guy who's tied for sixth on your list in Joe Moorhead. Sometimes you hear people say about an NBA player that he's your favorite player's favorite player, which means that he does something that us mortals can't understand. But <laughs> like, there's just something about the guy. And you, you even wrote that with Moorhead. You, see, you said he's been a darling among, among his colleagues for a decade. I guess that always surprises me because I, I probably didn't really pay attention to the root of what 
got him out at Mississippi State in, in two years. And, you know, you know, oh, well, you know, Penn State, he was awesome, you know, but Saquon and all that talent. And Oregon's been pretty good, but maybe now on, you know, uh, the bad loss at Utah aside, it, it feels like everyone in the industry, Brandon, thinks that Joe Moorhead will get another head coaching job. And soon, and even if it's not like the biggest job, it, it almost feels like a, a place where he feels like he can be at for a long time, if that makes sense. I mean, listen, um, UConn wanted him. And it was pretty clear that they, they probably couldn't get him. Um, okay, that's interesting. So he wants bigger. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the money issue too. But, you know, listen, um, Moorhead is a guy, he got fired at Mississippi State because there was discipline issues on that team that were really too hard to ignore. A lot of things, even, I mean, it was just boiling over in practices and onto campus and everything. But people in the industry still believe that they moved too quickly on him and and fired him, but he's the one who leads the program. He's going to be a head coach again at some point. I do wonder if he wants to at, at this juncture. Maybe he'll wait another year or two. I think he's enjoying just calling plays and everything. But his trajectory and his this mystique about him, I guess we could say, among his his uh, peers, it reminds me of the early days of Chip Kelly when he was moving up in the industry. Mm-hmm. And 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 it, and it's quite it's quite remarkable if you look at the parallels. Both northeast guys coming from smaller schools, moving up through the system, dazzling their their peers with their schemes and their and their play calling. And he finally gets his big shot at Mississippi State and the rugs kind of pulled out from under him because of some off the field stuff that wasn't leading to NCAA sanctions or anything like that, but it was kind of a culture fit. And that he never really fit the culture there anyway. But then you start hearing the stories about the stuff he was doing off the field, just as far as like charity work and some of the stuff he just did as like a neighbor in the city of Starkville. And this guy, as one coach said, uh, quote, he's a super unselfish guy and is just great working with people. You combine that with his obvious just mastery as a play caller on offense, it, it would be very interesting to see what he would be doing at Mississippi State right now in his fourth, fifth year if he was able to stay there. But he's going to get another shot at some point. I just don't know if he wants to go back and have to work his way up to a power five gig. So, because listen, he, if he wanted the UConn job, he could have gotten it. Um, they would have given it to him. Hmm. Last one for you. The $2.5 million man. All right. So from my vantage point, it seems like Brent Venables is pretty happy in Davo world, building top five defenses every year um, and making the playoff when his offense holds, when, when the Clemson offense holds up, it's into the bargain. He's got sons there. I don't, you know, Tyler and Jake, they, they could say, I think another year with, with the COVID freebie, um, he's 50 years old. He's turned down jobs from Texas uh, that I, uh, you know, reportedly from Texas Tech to Auburn to Tennessee in recent years. Do people in the industry, he's on your list. Do they actually think he's ever going to leave? Uh, no, um, I, I, almost to uh, a person, every single one of them were saying, if he wants to leave, he should be a guy and they would include him on the list still. I think if he was like open to leaving, he'd probably be number one or two on this list among the coaches we polled. He had his opportunities to take almost any job he wanted that came open over the last two, three years in the SEC, including the schools you mentioned. And I know Arkansas was very hot on him and Venables actually came out publicly and talked about it, uh, saying how flattered he was, but he just doesn't want to leave. 
Clemson at this point. But did this season change things for him? Does he feel like the the bloom is off the rose at Clemson, that the days of competing for championships are over? And if he wants to go make his own mark and compete for something, maybe he needs to go do as a head coach? I don't know. And I don't think the coaches in the country really know either from talking to them. I do think, though, however, the way Clemson is playing of late, back in the top 25, they're going to be a top 15 team again next preseason. Uh, maybe he just wants to stick around. Listen, there are coaches out there who just want to be assistant coaches, and he's getting paid very well in doing that. And uh, he's had his opportunities, and he's passed very big jobs. And so unless something just huge, very drastic happens there and he wants to leave, um, I think he'll he'll stay there at Clemson. All right, Brandon, this is super impressive stuff. Thanks for joining us. Thank you to Brandon for joining us and, and doing that work for the assistant coaches who are ready for the next step, according to College Football's coaches. Uh, my name is Trey Scott. Our producer is Lance Glenn. We have an episode tomorrow that's already been recorded with Blake Brockermeyer previewing the regular season finale. Very sad to say that in college football. So have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy the football. Enjoy the pie. We'll talk to you on Friday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.